I lay some groundwork here, some things that have been stirring in my heart for the last few days about resurrection power. Are you thankful for resurrection power? We're getting ready to celebrate Easter. And if you weren't here this morning, you need to get the teaching that Pastor did on Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the week that changed everything for history forever and ever. Our Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And I was thinking about it. And this is the definition of resurrection is a coming back to life. Well, many have died. We've heard testimonies of people that have actually died, gone to heaven and come back. So we know that Jesus, uh, he didn't, he didn't just have a resurrection. He is the resurrection. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And he's the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen. But I was thinking about it this week. Before he conquered death, hell, and the grave, during his ministry, his earthly ministry, he conquered physical death. Three times in his earthly ministry, he raised people from the dead. And there's some lessons in that for us tonight. And I want to look at those accounts. And not just from the standpoint that these people literally came back to life from the dead, but the parallel of what it means for us to be spiritually raised from the dead. How many of you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and you have experienced eternal life? Amen. We're no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer bound by spiritual death because we have received Jesus into our life. And as we look at these three cases that Jesus performed these wonderful miracles for, we're going to see something. We're going to see one person who just died. We're going to see someone who had been dead about 24 hours and then someone that had been dead for four days. So let's start out by looking at Jairus' daughter. And we'll turn over to math, uh, to Mark chapter 5. You know, the whole background there, you can read this whole account. But for sake of time, we'll just read a portion of the story and then we'll comment on it. So in verse 22 of Mark chapter 5, it says, And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he begged him earnestly, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So obviously Jairus had heard about the miracles, the signs and the wonders that Jesus was performing. This was not him coming out of curiosity. He made a statement of faith. If you will come and lay hands on her, I know she will live. And so Jesus is getting ready to go to Jairus' house. house. They're on the way, but all of a sudden there is an interruption. And if you read down through Mark chapter 5, the interruption is the account of when the woman with the issue of blood, she was there in the crowd and she pulled on that faith. She touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was miraculously healed. That's a good story there too as well. But can you imagine how Jairus must have been feeling? He's got the attention of the master and Jesus had said to him, okay, let's go. I see you 
your faith. I know you're believing. Let's go. I'm going to touch your daughter. She's going to be raised up from this sickness and disease. And all of a sudden there's this crowd and this interruption and this lady's getting Jesus' attention. She gets healed. And during all of this commotion, someone comes and they say, your daughter is dead. Here he was. He had Jesus. And they were en route for his miracle. They were on the way to his house where Jesus, he knew, was going to raise his daughter up. And then there's this, all of this distraction. As I was thinking about this this week, I had this in my spirit that many of you are en route to your miracle. And don't be moved by distractions. Not that this woman was a distraction, but all the people and all this stuff, it was. It was a distraction to Jairus. But don't be moved by time. Don't be moved by distractions that may be coming. You stay focused. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You keep your eyes fixed on that answered prayer that you are believing him for. The devil is the master of mass distractions and don't let yourself be moved off of your faith and what you are believing for you hold steady keep faith alive amen, amen. so he gets this reward his this word your daughter is already dead stop troubling the master and let's look, look down at verse 36 of this same chapter as soon as jesus heard the word that was spoken He said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, don't, do not be afraid, only believe. That's what he was doing. So he's saying, keep believing. It's not too late. I'm still going to your house. Amen. I'm still going to show up. So they get to his house. People are weeping and well, and there's a crowd there and Jesus, he puts everybody outside Except for the girl's mom and dad and the disciples that he brought with him. And look down at verse 41. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked. For she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement hallelujah it didn't matter that the little girl died and from all accounts we can see that she had probably just died they weren't that far from Jairus's house so she had just been dead for just a little while but it didn't matter death had to yield to the command of Jesus and when he spoke the word life returned into her lifeless body let's give him some glory thank you Jesus Jesus, you are still the miracle worker. You're still the one that takes dead situations and breathes life back into them. Amen. Now let's look at the second account. This is the widow's woman's son. They, and the, as we read this, you'll see that they were on their way 
to bury him. So that means that he had been dead probably about 24 hours because traditionally a Jewish burial had to take place within 24 hours of the death because that's what the Torah said. You shall bury him the same day. So let's look at this account in Luke chapter 7 in verse 12. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. I love this because this shows the heart of Jesus. This woman had lost her husband. And now her only son was dead. She was completely alone. And in that time, the man was the one that provided for the household. No way of providing for herself. But the Bible says Jesus had compassion on her. And that's a familiar phrase many times in the gospel where Jesus healed someone or or he ministered to them. It said he was moved with compassion. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he sees what we go through and the brokenness that we experience in life, it moves him to do something I found a definition years ago in this old dictionary for compassion, and I've never been able to improve on it. It said, love with the desire to help. Love with the desire and the urge to help. Jesus loves us. This we know. But Jesus doesn't just love us. Jesus has compassion on us. Because of that overwhelming compassion, he was moved to lay down his life for us. He was moved to deliver us from sin. He was moved to be our redeemer. And that compassion moved him this day to raise this widow's son from the dead because he understood not only how she was feeling at that moment, but he understood the impact of this loss of her son would have on the rest of her life. And it compelled him to do something. Jesus sees, he knows, and he understands all the pain that you may be experiencing in your life. The people that are going to be here on Easter, we are going to pray over that situation because that's one of the things we want them to experience. The love of Jesus, the compassion, his desire, and his urge to help, help humanity, bring hope to a hurting, dying, sighing humanity. People need the Lord. They need to see his heart. Amen. So let's look. Let's continue reading here. So verse 14. Then he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Hallelujah. 
That phrase just jumps out at me. Presented him to his mother. Hallelujah. He is a restorer, not only here of, of, of this young man's very life, but Jesus is a restorer of broken relationships. And perhaps you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, and you're, you're, there's someone in your family, a child or a niece or a nephew, and that relationship is strained. That relationship is broken. But I declare to you tonight, there's an anointing here for restoration. He will present those people back to you in your life. Hallelujah. And those relationships can be mended and they can be healed. He presented this young man to his mother. They were reunited. They were joined back together. Hallelujah. And I sense that's happening and will happen in the realm of the spirit for some of you that have had Broken relationships with family members. I encourage you this week, pray over that situation. And if they're here in the Bay Area, text them, call them, invite them to church, invite them on Easter. And Jesus is going to do something miraculous. There is an anointing that is and shall be released. Hallelujah. To restore broken and dead Relationships. Can I get a witness? Anybody agree with that? Glory to God. And then the third incident. We're all familiar with this one, I'm sure. Lazarus. Lazarus, Mary and Martha were very close to Jesus. Mary and Martha being his sisters. The Bible says he loved them. He went to their house. We know many times he was a guest in their home. He sat in their home. He taught the word of God there. And they loved him and he loved them. And Mary and Martha, they knew where Jesus was and they got word to him. They said, Lazarus, whom you love. They wanted to make sure he remembered. Lazarus, whom you love. Who loves you? He's sick. Near to death. We need you, Jesus. Come to our house. And I know the disciples there were thinking, all right, let's drop everything. Let's go. This is Lazarus. We're going and we're going right now. But the Bible says instead of going immediately, he remained two more days where he was. And he taught the people, continued to teach the people. And finally, one of the disciples said, uh, should we go? And Jesus said, Lazarus is sleeping. And you know, they were a little bit clueless sometimes. Lazarus is sleeping and he says, oh, well, if he's sleeping, then he does good. And then he got real direct. He said, uh, he's dead. Can you imagine? They're like, what? We should have gone sooner. And that was the same response when Jesus did go. When he ended up going to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we know that Mary ran out to meet him and she said, Lord, if you had been here, Our brother would not have died. And this is a really wonderful account. If you read the whole story, there's a lot of lessons in there. But Jesus said to them, take me where he is. So they do. And let's look at this here. We'll pick it up here in verse 39. So here they go out to the tomb. Jesus, verse 39, said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. 
Oops. For he has been dead four days. And again, Jewish tradition, there was something significant about the fourth day. It was like that's the day when there, there's no return. The body begins to decay. And Jesus never does anything by accident. He was making a statement. He's saying, I'm going to wait until he's been dead for four days so I can surely show how big of a miracle that this is. So when they said four days, Jesus didn't step back and go, Oh, no, I thought he'd only been dead too. Oh, not four. There's no way that anything can happen. No. What did he say in verse 40? Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of the Lord? How many believers are in the house tonight? How many of you are believing that we are going to see the full manifestation of the glory of the Lord? The glory of the Lord coming up on our nation. The glory of the Lord being manifest in the state of California. The glory of the Lord being manifest here in the Bay Area. How about the glory of the Lord in your family? Amen. Anybody need the glory of the Lord manifested in your physical body? Well, he said, believe and you will see the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah, which we know is his manifest presence. So verse 41. (coughs) Excuse me. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I've heard folks say that it's a good thing that he said Lazarus come forth or the whole graveyard would have come forth. Because we know there's power and there's authority in the command of Jesus. Amen. So the Bible tells us what happened. And he who had died in verse 44 came out bound hand and foot. With grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them these famous words Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Say that with me. Loose him and let him go. And that's exactly what happened. The grave could not hold him any longer. He came out of that grave even though he was still wrapped up in grave clothes. They got those grave clothes off of him and he was loosed. And he was set free. Hallelujah. And he was raised from the dead. And you and I today, the significance of this is when we make that decision... To receive Jesus as Lord. That same command is heard in the realm of the Spirit. Loose him and let him go. 
Those grave clothes can't stay on us. The darkness of the enemy, that bondage of the enemy, sin that once had a hold on us. When we say, Jesus, you are my Lord, there is a loud booming voice in the realm of the spirit that says, loose him and let him go. Hallelujah. We are delivered from spiritual darkness and spiritual death. We are translated out of the kingdom of darkness and right in to the kingdom of light. Can anybody be happy about that? Are you happy that you've been set free? Are you happy that you've been delivered? Are you thankful that you're healed? Are you thankful that you're whole? Are you thankful that you got the peace of God? Those yokes of bondage that once entangled you, whether it was addiction or whether it was gossip or wherever it was worry, all those bondages gotta go gotta go loose him and let him go it's what Jesus declared and when he made that declaration over Lazarus he was completely set free he came out alive but still bound and some people that's what happens when they come into the kingdom of God they're out of the spiritual darkness they're in a new family but those bondages still try to wrap themselves around us that's why we got to get into the word if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen. Get into the word and it'll loose those bondages. Renew our mind according to what the word of God says. Ain't no grave going to hold me down. Ain't no sin. Ain't no bondage. Ain't no addiction going to hold me back. I've been set free and whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Glory to God. So this is a declaration that we can pray over our lost loved ones. Those that are going to come on Easter. We're going to pray that. Loose them and let them go. People that come in here that don't know the Lord. That are bound. They're not going to leave here like they came. In Jesus name. The anointing. What does the anointing do? The anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. The anointing removes darkness off of people's eyes. And that's what we're going to pray tonight. Let the anointing be loosed in this place. So every single one of these accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead make a statement. And this sta- the statement is this. The degree of death does not matter. Jairus' daughter, probably dead just for a few minutes. The widow woman's son, 24 hours. Lazarus, four days. But the point is this. Jesus is the giver of life. And the degree of death, the thing that's tried to bring death into your life, it doesn't matter how long it's been there, it's got to go in the name of Jesus because he conquered death, hell, and the grave for us. Amen. He, we, he can take any death-filled situation and make it a beautiful living testimony. That's what he did for these three families that had a loved one that had died. 
It turned the, he turned the situation around. It does not matter how long that sickness has tried to live in your body. It doesn't matter how long you may have been out of work. It doesn't matter how long that relationship could have been strained. It doesn't matter how long that child may be full of rebellion. It doesn't matter how long your loved one may be bound by an addiction. All it takes is faith in the resurrection power of our living God. This is what faith does. Faith hears the unheard. Faith sees the unseen. Faith feels the unfelt. In other words, we don't walk by what we feel. We don't walk by what we see. We don't walk by what we hear. We listen to the beat of a different drum. We're walking by faith and not by sight. And we believe our relatives, our loved ones, those that are lost, they're coming into the kingdom of God. He's turning their lives around. Addictions are being broken off of them. Loose them and let them go in the name of Jesus. Because our God specializes in doing things that others say are impossible. Don't you like this story over in Luke chapter 1? We're, we're winding down here a little bit. In Luke chapter 1 is the account of when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that you're going to conceive supernaturally. You're going to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I like what he told when he told her his plan. He, she didn't say this can't happen. She said how? Is this going to happen? And he tells her. And then she says, be it unto me according to your word. And that ought to be our answer. When things look impossible and things look like death-filled situations, we ought to respond with, be it unto me according to your word. And she said something else. The angel said this to her. He said, the Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. And sometimes we just pull this verse out. But this verse was in connection with her receiving this word from Gabriel. Luke 1, 37. Then the Gabriel said this to her. For with God, nothing will be impossible. With God. Nothing will be impossible. And this quote was actually taken from a very familiar passage. Mary was a little Jewish girl. She grew up in the synagogue and I'm sure she heard them read from the prophet Jeremiah. And that's where this passage came from that Gabriel quoted to her. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord God. Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. So when she heard the angel say, nothing shall be impossible with God, immediately she thought of this verse, I'm sure. Oh, Lord God, you are all powerful. You only had to use your arm to create the heavens and the earth. There's nothing too hard for you. So if you can do that by just stretching out your arm, you can surely cause me, the handmaiden of the Lord, to conceive and to bring forth the Savior 
of the world. Amen? Because nothing is too hard or too difficult for our Lord God. And then I like Luke 1, 37 in the Amplified. For with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Everybody say this. Nothing shall ever be impossible with my God. It's impossible for him to do nothing. There's one thing that is impossible with our God, and that's for him to do nothing. When we stand upon the word of God, when we pray, when we say, I'm taking this to, to you, Lord, I'm repeating your word back to you. It's impossible for him to do nothing because signs and wonders always follow his word. And when we speak the word, when we pray the word, there's going to be evidence. He's going to show up and he's going to show up and he is going to do the impossible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says over in James chapter five, verse 16, just the very last part of that in the Amplified. And this is how we're going to pray tonight. How many of you believe? We believe. We receive. And we are going to ask. And we are going to ask fervently. We're going to ask for lost souls. We're going to ask for broken relationships to be restored. We're going to ask for backsliders to return. The very last part of this says the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. That word power there is the same word used to describe the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power is released when we release our faith, when we pray according to the word of God. And if that power could raise Jesus out of the pit of hell, don't you think that power can give you newness of life? Don't you think that power can destroy yokes and bondage over your loved ones? Don't you think that power can set the captives free, bring sight to the spiritually blind, heal the broken hearted and deliverance to the poor? Amen. Are you ready to release that resurrection power tonight? Glory be to God. Let's all stand. And let's